Hey there. It is 2022, but a lot of the big questions feel very 2020. Like, is my kid's school open this week? Where can I get a COVID test? How much is it going to cost me? I mean, does anybody else feel like we're living in a messed up version of that movie Groundhog Day? You know, the one where Bill Murray relives the same day over and over again. We talked all about home COVID tests on an episode of this show last month. And unfortunately, that episode is still pretty darn relevant, except, you know, the tests are even harder to find now than they were a few weeks ago. And last week, I expanded on some advice from that episode for our first aid kit newsletter. You might want to check it out. And when I wrote it up, I found myself also looking back at an episode we did in late 2020 about how to avoid getting stuck with a giant bill for a COVID test you get from a medical provider. Because unfortunately, that episode is still pretty darn relevant as well. And it seemed like about the best service we could do for you right now would be to bring it back right here. I'll have a couple updates for you at the end. Meanwhile, here we go. This story idea actually came up when someone who um, is very temporarily uninsured was asking me, hey, where should I get tested? And I was saying, okay, well, here's how I think about it. And here's where I would go. And then I realized like, oh, maybe maybe I should share this advice with not just my uninsured friend. <laughs> That's New York Times reporter Sarah Cliff talking about her recent story, How to Avoid a Surprise Bill for Your Coronavirus Test. I read it, tweeted about it, and realized, like, oh, maybe I should share this advice with not just whoever happens to see my random tweet. So, welcome to a bonus episode of An Arm and a Lip, a podcast about the cost of healthcare. My name is Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter, and I like a challenge. So, my job here is to take one of the most enraging, terrifying, depressing issues in American life, but, you know just one of them, and bring you a show that's entertaining, empowering, and useful. And I think we've got you here. I asked Sarah Cliff to help walk us through what she's been learning, because she ought to know. So, Sarah Cliff, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, you are covering healthcare and the coronavirus pandemic at The New York Times, and you're what you're doing now is like a sequel to a project you did when you were at Vox, where you asked people <laughs> to send you emergency room bills to get a sense of like, what goes on? Why are they so wildly high in so many cases? And what actually happens? Mm -hmm. You got more than a thousand bills there. We talked about that a couple of years ago. And now you are at the Times asking people like to send you their coronavirus testing bills. And you've gotten hundreds of them. Yeah, yeah. We're just over 500 as of today. What does it feel like to have read about 500 of these <laughs> story so far. You know, it makes you more nervous and a little more cautious about coronavirus testing. And I don't want people to think, holy crap, you know, I should just not get tested for coronavirus because it's going to cost me a ton of money. You absolutely should. And, and the odds are greater than not that you will not get a surprise bill and it will cost zero dollars. Like 98% are not going to come with a surprise bill. 2% or so we think do. And so when it's 2% and a million tests are being done a day, that's still a lot of people getting bills they, they didn't expect. For sure. For sure. And you've now come to the point where you've looked at enough of these, you're able to say, hey, here's the big trends, of what I'm seeing when people have problems. Mm -hmm. And here are some things you can probably do. And to say at the top, there are reasons that the overwhelming majority of people do not get bills for COVID testing, right? That there's federal laws. Do you want to talk a little bit about the protections that most of us, that we, that we should all kind of expect will be operating in our favor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what we should expect is that if you are someone with health insurance, you should not pay anything out of pocket for your coronavirus test. You should not face a copay. 
deductibles, cost sharing, it should be 100% covered. And that is because Congress passed new laws earlier this year stating as much, um, telling insurance companies they need to pay for this fully and not charge the type of cost sharing they would charge for some other type of test. Um, so those are pretty strong protections. They also, and we'll probably get into this, they include other services that are required to get the coronavirus test. Now, they don't include a list of what those services are, so it can get a little bit gray, but generally that is thought to include the doctor visit you need to make to get the coronavirus test. So so it is it, those protections apply to both the coronavirus test and services necessary to get the test. Um, But if you're insured, as about 90% of Americans are, you really should not face any costs for your test. All right. So let's let's just run through where people have run into trouble. And the first is, well, where you go can make a difference. There are certain kinds of places where, from what you've seen, people tend to run into more trouble, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, If if you're you're going to run into trouble, it might be at, say, a freestanding emergency room or mm-hmm. in a hospital. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. This actually, this brought me back to some of the emergency room reporting that I've done earlier. Um, and so one of the things I have noticed is when I do see people getting pills, they typically were tested at an emergency room or a hospital. Also, urgent care is another one. And what seems to be happening is that there is a facility fee. And we've talked about this before, Dan, on this very podcast already. Yeah, but just in case someone hasn't listened to every single episode of this podcast, you very helpfully define a facility fee as like a cover charge. And they can be very expensive. They can. And um, the thing is, some people are really surprised because, you know, like if we want to stick with our cover charge analogy, a lot of these people aren't actually going into the emergency room. They're getting tested in a drive through. They're getting tested in a tent. And they thought, well, I didn't enter the facility, but um, there is still a facility fee applied to their coronavirus test. Um, insurance companies should actually be covering these under these federal rules that pass. So if you are billed for a facility fee, what I would do if I received one of these bills is go to my insurance company. Um, I will say, though, one thing to know is those protections do not apply to out-of-network emergency rooms, facility fees, urgent cares. So it's complicated. Wait, whoa. <laughs> they, oh, that's, I can see listeners so, cannot see Dan's eyes bugging out at uh, this, this kind of hole people are falling into. <laughs> but my eyes are kind of popping out of my head right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So if you are like, look, man, I got to head to wherever is open, like say it's an emergency room. This is a moment when you got to check and be like, is this emergency room covered by my insurance? Because if they're not, then, okay, my insurance might pay for the test. But whatever else these jokers decide to charge me, like a facility fee, which could be, say, a bajillion dollars, um, that could be on me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why that's one of these places I think these rules kind of fall short for consumers and where you could end up with a surprise bill that actually is completely legal under federal law, but you wouldn't have expected. Wow. And and just I've noticed you've probably noticed even more than I have. Texas seems to be a place where there's a lot of these freestanding emergency rooms that do not accept anybody's insurance for anything. And they love to charge yeah. facility fees in like the thousand, two thousand dollar range, mm-hmm. just for stepping on the premises. Like I, I, I mean, I see a certain number of bills and stories from people. You see more than I do. 
Um, what is it with Texas anyway? Though? Yeah, Texas, you're right. These things have kind of proliferated in Texas. Colorado is another state where you see a lot of them as well. A lot of it has to do with actually state healthcare regulations. Uh, you know, in some states, they have more tightly regulated markets. I can't go build an emergency room in Washington, D.C., where I live. You know, I need to, like, prove that people need another emergency room. In Texas, it would be much easier for me to set up Sarah Cliff's emergency room. I wouldn't have to prove, you know, that Austin needs another emergency room. But it would be much easier for me just to kind of stand one up. So you've seen a proliferation of these um, freestanding ERs in Texas, and they are some of the ones I've seen some of the nuttiest um, coronavirus test billing. So, so number one, rule number one: check out where you're going, and don't and and if you can go someplace, it's like a public site, like the like the place where you live is like we are doing tests over here. Go there. If you can go to your doctor's office, go there. If it's an emergency room type situation, uh, look at the website, figure out, are they in your network? And if you have any choice about it, go someplace that's in your, that, that your insurance covers. So that's one. Two is ask. You've written stories about people going and think they're getting a COVID test. And the doctor is like, while you're here, I'll just test you for some STDs. We'll run, <laughs> we'll run a, a panel that ch- they'll turn up every single viral respiratory illness you could have. Mm-hmm. And insurance companies are like, this is not really what we're required to cover. Um, and nobody bothered to ask you if you wanted them. So this is where you're, you're advising people to say, hey, uh, just before you stick me, uh, what are you going to bill me for? And this is something, again, I've seen from those freestanding ERs. And sometimes it's just like zany. It's like STD tests or like a vitamin D panel or things that like clearly are not related and are just being done so you could bill for it. But I think you also see this from some well-meaning providers as well. So like an example I would give is a woman I wrote about in Brooklyn who went to an urgent care and... Um, the provider billed for a test, they billed for the visit, and they also decided to do a flu test because she was slightly symptomatic. And her insurance company covered the visit and the coronavirus test fully, but did not fully cover the flu test. And the flu test kind of falls into this murky area of like what actually counts as a related service to a coronavirus test. And you could see insurance companies, since there is no list from the federal government, they could go either way on that. I mean, I think the provider would have argued, like, this is related. I was trying to figure out what this, what was wrong with this person. But that's one where it's a bit of a, a gray area, like what will or won't count as a related service. And as you've written, insurance companies sometimes will interpret those ambiguities to their financial advantage. Sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I think if I am going to get a coronavirus test... I'm going to ask the provider before, like, well, what am I being billed for? Like, what are you testing? And it sounds insane that you have to do that. <laughs> but um, if they can't tell you, like, I feel like that's a little bit of a red flag. Like, maybe see if you could get tested somewhere else. I guess. Although I'd, I also just have to say, like, if I'm like in, if I'm waiting in line, I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I don't know what it's like in D.C., but like, you know, in Chicago, local news has shown like helicopter footage of people waiting mm-hmm. in their cars in lines that stretch out for what looks like a mile to go to a drive-through coronavirus yeah. test, and if I've done that, uh, and I'm not, and I'm not the front of the line, right? I'm not like I'm, I don't know what my options are, and I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure the person with the leaning out the drive-through window in their spacesuit with the Q-tip is the person who's going to know mm-hmm. exactly what happens on the billing end of things, right? No, I think the other thing you could do is a lot of these places that do tack on other tests, if you go look at like their Yelp page or if you try and do like a tiny bit of research, 
you might see some other patients complaining about that kind of behavior. So that could be another way to try and suss out like what's um, what's going on with their billing. Can we just say it is just the crummiest thing in the universe that like in the middle of a global pandemic for an illness that like really lays people low and, you know, has killed more than what is it? Are we past a quarter million Americans yet? Mm-hmm. You know, and is on track to like, devastate more and more people that like if you're feeling super sick. Like, you're supposed to, like, I'm supposed to go Yelp review the place where I'm getting my, like, and I'm supposed to, like, call my insurance, and I'm supposed to ask the person in the spacesuit what's on the back end, like, what, I mean, it's, on the one hand, it's great that, like, we're talking, getting a sense of, like, where the potential Mm -hmm. potholes are in this road, and then it's like, I just feel like I'm sending people off to, like, join the French Foreign Legion. (laughs) And just telling them, like, yeah, bring some mosquito netting and some sunscreen and hope for the best. Yeah. So um, this is in some ways, like, to keep in your back pocket what your rights are supposed to be, which is if you've got insurance, they're supposed to cover the test. They're supposed to cover whatever is necessary, bef- you know, to get the test. And there are certain things that are potentially gray areas. That's a good point. You know, I had to get tested for coronavirus this summer, as did my my son. And um uh... We had to do a telehealth visit before where essentially they would okay us for the coronavirus test. And I was kind of like, I don't know if that's going to fall in the related bucket or not. I don't know if we'll get billed for it. It turns out it did fall in the related bucket and we were never charged a copayment for that visit. Um, And I asked about it and they just, you know, they didn't know how my insurance was going to interpret it. So it's so hard to do the research and come up with anything ironclad. You know, even I know a lot about medical billing over the last few years. And every time I go to the doctor, it feels like a bit of a gamble on like what's actually going to happen. And you might want to, this is perhaps an unfortunate image given the actual disease we're talking about, like take a deep breath and be Mm -hmm. ready to go to battle with them sometime down the road. And you suggest uh, being ready to enlist your doctor in, mm-hmm. in helping in helping to convince them, like, this was really part of the process of diagnosing, intensely treating potential COVID infection. Right. Hey, so this has mostly been how to navigate potholes of what your insurance company might do. But not everybody has insurance, especially right now when lots of people have been tossed out of work. There are options for folks without insurance, too. Not everything we'd want. That's in just a minute. This episode of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service covering healthcare in America. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with the big healthcare outfit, Kaiser Permanente. We'll have a little more information about Kaiser Health News at the end of this episode. Okay, so wrapping up, we're going to talk about protections for folks who don't have insurance. And you'd think when Congress passed protections against getting billed for COVID testing, folks without insurance would have been top of mind, folks who need the most protection. Turned out, not so much. So we've been talking about like, okay, you're insured. This is what you do to make sure your insurance covers you. If you're uninsured, you also have some options. If you're uninsured, you know, it's actually the protections aren't quite as good, but they still exist. There is federal funding that is meant to reimburse providers if they have to provide coronavirus care or testing to someone who's uninsured. So providers, doctors, health clinics should be able to send the cost of the coronavirus test to the government and not to you individually. So tell your doctor to send the bill to Uncle Sam. And the thing that caught my eye in your story was that your provider is not actually obligated to do that. They could be like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to chase you. 
Is that right? Yeah. No, that is true. Um, so unfortunately, you have fewer rights if you're uninsured. And I think that's why you see kind of some of these cash pay sites uh, turning up where you can get like at least a reliable sense of what it would cost. And I've seen some uninsured folks just deciding they're going to pay cash instead of like take the risk of, um, you know, how much it could it could end up costing if they try and go the other route. The thing I would probably do if I was uninsured... I would try and find a place that is already participating in the fund or is saying, you know, they're provi- they're not going to require you to provide any billing information or insurance information. Um, the other thing to know is I believe it's about 17 states have created a mini Medicaid expansion to cover coronavirus testing and treatment for um, for people who are uninsured. So that might also be something you qualify for. And again, like your federally qualified health clinic, your safety net healthcare provider, they'll probably know a lot more about that Medicaid. It's not something you like go and sign up for and get a special Medicaid card. It's more of on the back end for providers to do their billing. And, and if you go over to Kaiser Family Foundation, you know they will have a map of which states do participate in that program. So that you know, if I happen to live in one of those states and I, I looked at that map and I live in one of those states, it's Illinois. I'm I'm good. Uh, New York, not on the list. California on the <laughs> list. I'm just, I, you know, 17 states. OK, so here's what I'm getting from this conversation. If I'm sick, if I'm not feeling good and I'm worried I've got covid. This may not be the time when I, you know, I'm ready to kind of take all these steps and do all this due diligence. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like do it today. Do it now. Check it out. Mm -hmm. If I had to go get tested, where would I be financially safe in doing so? And have a list of like one places, one, two, three and four in case some places overrun with other people getting tested that day. Like have that list written down, have it written on your palm um, so you know where to go. So you have one less thing to worry as much Mm -hmm. about. Is that right? I think it is. And unfortunately, you might need to do, you know, some of your own research to figure out the best ones. You know, one, for example, you know, that story we talked about earlier about this freestanding emergency room in Texas. There was one in particular in Austin I wrote about. When I talked to patients about why they went there, a lot of them went on the Austin City website. And the Austin City website had a list of where to get tested. And one of the things I see, and you know, I don't know how much we should fault local health officials for this because they're dealing with so much right now. You know, they're trying to control a pandemic. But I've seen in a number of cases in Texas and Connecticut where local officials are kind of putting up these lists of where you can get tested and they're not actually checking out, you know, well, what is that patient billing experience going to be like on the back end? So unfortunately, it might fall on you to take that list and then do a little bit of research, you know, see what you can figure out, see, like you said, it's better to look at Yelp reviews when you're healthy than when, you know, you think you have coronavirus and just need someone to test you right away. Um and I think luckily we're in a better place testing capacity-wise now than we were in March. So you hopefully have more options near you and at least like a few choices and, you know, hopefully some kind of public testing site that should be your your safest um, bet for, for not running into a surprise bill. <sighs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man is right. Sadly, in the year and change since I had that conversation with Sarah Cliff, not a lot has changed here, except... For some people, tests may not be quite as easy to find as they were in late 2020, with the Omicron variant spreading so fast there's just a ton of demand. We've been keeping on top of this story this month in our first aid kit newsletter, where we also go into one extra thing that's super important right now. The law that says insurance has to pay for your COVID test 
it only applies if a licensed medical provider says you need one. Like there's a medical reason for it. You're not feeling well, or maybe you know you've been exposed. So if you're getting a test because your job requires everybody to test or you're traveling or just to see, you don't get those protections. So if you don't want to get stuck with the bill, make sure the record reflects a medical reason for your test. Also, remember how Sarah Cliff said there were 17 states that were using Medicaid funds to cover COVID tests for folks with no insurance? That number is now up to 18. You can find a link to that list and a bunch more information in the most recent two editions of First Aid Kit. When we started the newsletter in November, my colleagues and I thought it would just be a way to sum up the practical lessons I've learned in the first three years of making this show. But it turns out it's also a way to share the latest information quickly because I can publish a newsletter as soon as it's written and edited and fact-checked. Production for a podcast like this generally takes our team at least a few days. You can read everything we've published and sign up at armandalegshow.com slash newsletter. We're able to do all this because you support us. We'll have an extra long list of folks to thank after the credits. I'll catch you in a couple weeks. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode of An Arm and a Leg was produced by me, Dan Weissman, with help from Emily Pisacreta and edited by Marion Wang. Daisy Rosario is our consulting managing producer. Adam Raimunda is our audio wizard. Our music is from Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. Gabrielle Healy edits the First Aid Kit newsletter. Is La Magdalene helps make us entertaining, empowering, and useful on social media and elsewhere. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. It's an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare outfit. They share an ancestor, this guy Henry J. Kaiser. He had his hands in a lot of different stuff, like actual stuff. Poured concrete, made steel, smelted aluminum, built ships. When he died more than 50 years ago, he left half his money to the foundation that later created Kaiser Health News. You can learn more about him and Kaiser Health News at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Diane Weber is national editor for broadcast, and Tanya English is senior editor for broadcast innovation at Kaiser Health News. They are editorial liaisons to this show. Thanks to Public Narrative, a Chicago-based group that helps journalists and nonprofits tell better stories for serving as our fiscal sponsor, allowing us to accept tax-exempt donations. You can learn more about Public Narrative at www.publicnarrative.org. Finally, thanks to everyone who donates to keep this show going. I can't even tell you how thankful I am. We wrapped up our Newsmatch campaign at New Year's, and you really, really came through for us. We came this close to meeting our second stretch goal for that campaign, which means you took us farther and supported us more than I had imagined was possible when we started. So here's a list of folks who've come aboard in just the last couple of weeks. Thanks this time to Robin Gentry, Ian Keen Babcock, Matthew Lennertz, Leah McVeigh, Lester M. Argulis, Liz Salmi, Anne Hepperman, Alexander Russo, Terry Plunkett, Jane Caldwell, Alfonso Mason, Liz Mason, Ben Delicat, Jay Shevsky and Liz Feldman, Molly Strickland, Emily Johnson, Lauren Davis, Woody O'Neill, Megan Erie, Jennifer Spring, Adam Milgram, Sarah Earhart, Tom Monter, Alex Evans, Brianna Napau, Julian Haida, Lindsay Cornwell, Joe Nyman, Jason Bordelon, Sharon and Alec Bloyd Peshkin, and Jeffrey Lieber. Thank you.